Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Celine Nahori. She is International Coordinator for Peace Boat and the Global Article 9 Campaign, and we will be talking about both of those things. She also serves as Regional International Representative in the International Peace Bureau's Council. She has worked for 15 years in NGOs in the United States, Japan, and India. She is, we are reaching her in Switzerland, though she is based in India and works for the Peace Boat in Japan. She is carrying out research and running advocacy campaigns on issues of peace, security, disarmament, economic justice, and sustainable development. Celine Nahori, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Hi, David. Hello. Thank you for being here. Let, let's talk first about Article 9. Listeners to this program should know what it is. Uh, y- your website is article hyphen nine, the numeral nine dot org, article dash nine dot org. Uh, just remind people what Article 9 is, and then let's talk about what's been happening to it in, in recent months. So Article 9 is the famous peace clause of the Japanese Constitution, uh, by which Japan, uh, after World War II, renounced to its right to wage war and promised to uh, be a pacific country that would not use force to settle international disputes. Um, I think Japan has played a very... Uh, Article 9 has played a very important role in Japan's... Uh, uh, as a country, uh, and its pacifism has been anchored in the Japanese ethos for all those years. But as you know, uh, lately, uh, Prime Minister uh, Shinzo Abe has uh, tried to get rid of it uh, quite frontally, although he's used some methods that are not very constitutional uh, by reinterpreting, re- reinterpreting the Constitution rather than uh, amend it. Yeah, I, I, I love the, the idea of reinterpreting a constitution that says very, very clearly and simply Japan will have no part in war or militarism to mean, reinterpreting that to mean Japan can go and engage in wars around the world uh, at, at its whim. Uh, I mean, that's, it's quite a feat of, of interpretation, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it's uh, it's been uh, quite brutal. Uh, not only the fact that he did it and the consequence it may have, but also the method he's used. Uh, as you may know, uh, Abe is a right-wing uh, politician, uh, quite conservative, a nationalist, and even uh, some will say a revisionist in terms of Japanese history. And it's been his long-held ambition to change. Uh, Japan's constitution uh, for what he calls like bringing Japan back or break away from the post-war regime. Uh, however, because Article 9 is so dear to uh, a large majority of the Japanese people, he has never managed to get enough support politically or in terms of public uh, to amend the constitution. In order to amend the constitution in Japan, uh, he would need to have uh, a vote of two-thirds in the Diet and 
a majority of the public uh, to support the referendum, uh, which he's very far from uh, being able to do. So what he chose in the last couple of years was uh, rather than amend the Constitution is to find a way to change it. Uh, so over the month, he set up a panel of experts and discussed. And uh, last year in July, he passed a cabinet decision in which he bluntly reinterpreted it to expand uh, the, the cases when Japan uh, started for its schedule force and authorize what he what is called uh, collective self-defense. Uh, after that passage uh, by, uh, of the decision, he has pushed through, and uh, I even say like railroad those uh, package of security bills in the diet, and despite the broad and strong opposition throughout Japan for months, uh, he's managed to push it through uh, last month. So the situation is uh, very worrying, in, in fact. So, so is it accepted now in Japan that uh, although not done properly, not done through amending the Constitution, that Article 9 uh, is, is no more, that Article 9 is gone and Japan can now take part in war? Oh, no. Uh, I think, like, uh, there has been all over the summer, like, broad uh, protests. Uh, in the streets with like hundreds and thousands of uh, people gathering throughout Japan and in Tokyo around the diet to uh, oppose the passage of those bills. And you may have followed how it even got violent in uh, the diet session, uh, in a special committee session where uh, they pushed through those bills. Uh, but yes. the mood is not uh, uh, giving up. I think like public opinion polls show clearly that a majority of the population opposes the legislation, continues to oppose it, and more than half also believe that it violates the Constitution. In fact, uh, most of the country's legal experts and constitutional lawyers and uh, former prime ministers and uh, high-ranking officials continue to believe that uh, it is uh, unconstitutional. So uh, we can expect that uh, opposition will continue at the political level. Uh, Many movements are trying to vote out those uh, parliamentarians who who voted for those bills. And I think at the legal level, a lot of uh, group of lawyers are hoping to uh, challenge this decision in court. Now, the way Japan function, uh, the Supreme Court cannot vote the illegality of those laws per se. They will only be able to do that uh, in terms of the violation that those laws uh, will create. And for that, we will have to wait that they are actually coming into effect and uh, in action, which will not be before next year. Um, By action, do you mean Japan taking part in a war? Uh, yes, yeah, so at least in some uh, type of operation. I think one of the first uh, cases in which it will be interpreted may be in some uh, UN operation, maybe in South Sudan, that uh, should be voted next spring. Uh, so it would have to be 
brought up to court through some uh, violation insofar as it actually implemented, uh, not in principle. It's, uh... Supreme Court in Japan has been fairly um, cautious in uh, judging uh, on some of those crucial questions like national security. Yes, I think that today the mood is such in Japan with so many uh, high-ranked cabinet, of, uh, cabinet officials, the former Supreme Court judges, uh, that have voiced how unacceptable the decision is, that I'm not sure that the Supreme Court will be able to avoid it uh, completely. Well, I know there have been these protests, the biggest peace protests, as I understand it, in Japan since the, the U.S. war on Vietnam, uh, which is wonderful, and I hope they continue and grow. But in the United States, very few people have any idea what's happening in Japan, uh, despite the fact that the, the, the language of Article 9 is almost identical to the language that U.S. peace activists created in the Kellogg-Briand Pact of 1928, and the United States government now, of course, is supporting the removal uh, of Article 9. Uh, but people here and people in much of the world, I think, don't know what's going on. So it was very good to see uh, advocates for maintaining Article 9 nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, and I think ought to uh, have won the 2015 Nobel Peace Prize, although uh, Tunisia was far from the worst uh, nominee that could have received it. Uh, what, what difference has that made, uh, having that Nobel Peace Prize nomination? I think it's been quite important uh, in uh, our campaign insofar that we have uh, long advocated that Article 9 is in fact not just a clause of Japan's constitution. And I think if we discuss maybe a bit later the situation in Northeast Asia, uh, we believe that Article 9 has been recognized and plays a very important role as a peace mechanism in the region. And the nomination of Article 9 uh, uh, has acknowledged that role. That is not just a Japanese issue, but it has con the, 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 the existence or like the assault on Article 9 has consequences for Asia Pacific, or at least Northeast Asia. Uh, and quite significantly, as you know, uh, Northeast Asia continues to be stuck in some Cold War structure. And reconciliation uh, following World War II has never quite happened as it has in Europe, for example. Uh, Japan uh, continues to have a very difficult uh, relation with its neighbor, mostly China and South Korea, who suffered the most during World War II. Uh, and 70 years after the end of World War II, we just celebrated it uh, over the summer, has not brought uh, real reconciliation in the region. Uh, but Article 9 has played a very important role uh, guaranteeing uh, to those neighbors that uh, Japan was no longer a militarist uh, imperial power in the region. Uh, so, of course, uh, those assaults on uh, Japan's peace clause is creating a lot of anxiety in the region and uh, as a sign of the resurgence of uh, Japan's militarism. 
Well, it's it's a remarkable accomplishment, uh, Celine Nahori, for a country like Japan to go 70 years uh, without participating directly in significant ways anyway in war. And it would be very, very important, I think, for the rest of the world to see that that can be maintained and maintained yet again by popular demand uh, of the Japanese people. What can people around the world and in the United States, where this show is mostly heard, do if they want to help? Well, I think it's very important, especially in the United States, that people understand that of course, this uh, development in Japan around uh, Japan's peace clause have a lot of uh, Japanese uh, roots uh, the, and regional dimension in terms of the rise of China that is creating anxiety in Japan and uh, fueling some of uh, the growing na- nationalism that we can see uh, in Japan right now. But I think it's also very important that we realize that the U.S. Is, has been and continues to play a very important role in uh, the changes uh, regarding Article 9. Uh, although uh, people like to remind that uh, Article 9 was drafted by the U.S. Uh, following World War II, uh, it has at the same time, the U.S. has at the same time played an important role in pressuring uh, Japan to free itself uh, from the constraint as it did, uh, that its constitution imposed on it. Over the recent month, uh, Japan and the U.S. have been uh, updating their uh, defense cooperation guidelines. And in that process, it's been clear that uh, Japanese, uh, article, Japan's Article 9 was an impediment, as some U.S. officials put it, to uh, the enactment of those new guidelines. So I think it's important in the U.S. Uh, to realize that uh, uh, Obama's pivot to Asia Pacific has uh, played a big role in pressuring Japan to take those steps. Yes, indeed. Uh, but the United States has urged Japan to undo the constitution that the United States gave Japan uh, for the war on Korea and the war on Vietnam and over and over again, and the Japanese people have said no, and uh, it has done the world a great deal of good, and I hope they continue to say no. Uh, Celine Nahori, you are also the international or an or- international coordinator for Peace Boat. The, the website that people can go and visit is peaceboat.org. Can you tell us uh, what the Peace Boat is? So Peace Boat is a Japanese-based uh, international organization that works to promote peace, human rights, uh, sustainable development, uh, around the world. It was created over 30 years ago as an initiative uh, from some Japanese students uh, to promote reconciliation uh, with uh, Korea. And uh, due to the uh, tension between uh, the resentment in Japan against Koreans, some students decided to uh, board a small boat and go to Korea and talk to some Korean counterparts uh, and get to know each other. Uh, over the last 30 years, uh, the organization has grown considerably and uh, now organized uh, about three voyages per year, uh, which go around the world. 
uh, and stop in some 20 uh, port of calls around the world uh, where they meet uh, grassroots organization and uh, local movements to discuss and visit and see firsthand what's happening in other places of the world and do a joint project for peace, disarmament, and uh, human rights. And, and it's not a very little boat anymore, is it? Oh, no, it's a big uh, chartered boat uh, that can have up to about a thousand passengers. And uh, many come from Japan, but uh, many come from other parts of the world. We organize a program exchange with students um, from different parts of the world, uh, including we regularly have programs for uh, students coming from countries at war, uh, for example, recently we had uh, Israeli and Palestinian youth uh, coming together and try to develop a shared vision for the future and discuss the issues that are uh, part of the problem and find ways to create human bounds that may eventually help in creating longer-term solutions. Uh, politically, so it's so it's uh, three three times a year or so that you are taking this ship, a, a big cruise ship, uh, around the world. But going on it is not uh, not exactly the same experience for people as being a tourist on a regular cruise ship, right? I mean, what what do you do if you're if you're on the peace boat? So uh, on the ship, we hold a different uh, program and lecture by uh, human rights practitioners, peace activists, uh, academics, um, and uh, from different countries where we have lecture, discussion, and cultural activities pertaining to the region usually that we visit. Uh, so since we go around the world, it can uh, be focused on uh, Asia, of course, but also Latin America, Europe. Uh, one of the subjects that we work a lot on is nuclear disarmament. Being a Japanese organization, uh, we work um, extensively with Hibakusha, or survivors from Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and uh, bring their testimony around the world for people to understand the human impact that nuclear weapons can have uh, and create a movement towards abolition. And so do you stop at ports and do uh, events in cities around the world? I know one of these trips is a hundred something days to get all the way around the world, right? Yes. So uh, we stop in about 20 uh, port of course, where we hold uh, events, appeals, joint activities, uh, some tourist, uh, touristic activities for those who wish to as well. But we try to engage all the participants on board and expose them to the different realities around the world. Uh, and it tends to be a very life-changing experience for most of the participants, indeed. Yeah, there are a lot of great comments from people who've done it uh, on the website peaceboat.org. Um, I saw also on your website that Peaceboat US, Peaceboat United States, was established in 2006. Uh, what, is, what is that part of the organization? 
Yes, indeed. We do have several uh, regional offices. We have one in Europe, uh, one in New York, uh, in the U.S., where we have a U.N. office where uh, we work uh, to bring our work to the U.N., but we uh, also work extensively with uh, universities where we, with whom we organize programs and uh, have students coming on board. Uh, because we believe it's really important to engage youth and have them exposed uh, to realities around the world. So the uh, our U.S. office works not only with the U.N., but with different universities, trying to set up joint program uh, where students come on board and uh, can get credits as part of their studies to uh, have some exposure in different parts of the world. So, we so have it regularly. Uh, in uh, Latin America, uh, in Asia, and uh, in Europe as well. So a college student who's in, enrolled in a college can can work out a way to take uh, a few months and go on one of these uh, trips around the world? Yes, yes, they can. Usually uh, those programs uh, last uh, a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, as opposed to the full voyage, it's like a segment of the voyage uh, that is uh, dedicated to uh, those programs, whether we work with different professors, uh, practitioners uh, on specific thematic, such as uh, post-conflict uh, or uh, post-disaster uh, risk reduction, uh, human security, which has recently had a program in Asia on human security with students from different universities in Japan, uh, China, and Korea, where they worked together uh, on a program that left Japan and ended in India, and they stopped in the Philippines, in Singapore, uh, to look at the different uh, meaning of security in different contexts from uh, hard security issues uh, with uh, uh, disputes of uh, territorial disputes in uh, northeast in the East China Sea to uh, what development development means for informal uh, neighborhoods in India for example and and you recently started up something that you call the global university is that right um it's not very uh, recent, actually. Okay. We have had this program with a Japanese university for a long time, and it proved to be uh, a success. So we've recently expanded it to uh, different countries, where we have it now carried in English uh, with different uh, universities in different regions. And if somebody wants to, to find out more or get involved, can you sign up to go on just part of a of a cruise around the world? Do you have to sign up for the whole way around? or Absolutely, absolutely, depending on uh, the availability of cabins and different programs on board. We often have uh, the possibility to uh, have people join for partial, uh, for some parts of the voyage. So they can look on our website and contact us. Uh, in our offices in Tokyo, or even in New York for that matter, um, and uh, reach out to us and we can uh, look into those possibilities for sure. And a lot of the the trips don't necessarily go to the United States, so you would need to fly yourself uh, to the appropriate place to to join the the trip, and you would need to 
to either speak Japanese or be willing to, to learn to speak Japanese, right? No, many of our programs are uh, taking place in uh, English. Oh, they are. Um, so, and we have uh, teams of translators uh, on the ship. But that uh, would mean a big exposure to the Japanese culture, which, uh, in fact, is uh, something that uh, people could uh, benefit from, too. So what, can, uh, what else can people do who want to uh, learn more or want to support what you're doing with peaceboat.org or with article-9.org? We have a petition going online for, uh, to save Japan's constitution from the current attempts by the administration to kill it. Uh, so we can invite people to sign that petition to uh, support the Japanese peace movement that actually values enormously uh, support from abroad. Uh, for example, the New York Times has run a few editorials in the last few months about the situation in Japan regarding uh, the constitutional debate, and I think it does bring support to the Japanese peace movement that, to see that the world values uh, their Japanese uh, constitution and the peace messages it carries. Do, I think uh, the people of Japan are probably aware that many people in the United States do not share the, the beliefs of the U.S. government, but are aware that the U.S. government uh, has been pushing Japan in the wrong direction. Is that, is that how people see it in Japan? I think so. I think so. I think so, but uh, it is important, and through our work, we really emphasize the people-to-people diplomacy and the role that civil society plays uh, in uh, bringing about change. And I think for the Japanese peace movement to have different peace groups uh, in the U.S., support their fight against uh, the attempts to uh, amend the Japanese constitution does uh, have, bring a lot of support and is valued uh, sincerely. But presumably people in Japan who, who have been protesting in, in Okinawa, have been protesting the bases uh, and, and so forth, are aware that the United States government uh, is insisting on those bases and is uh, insisting that Japan start participating in wars. Yes, absolutely. And I think like, the U.S. peace movement has been a... Uh, an inspiration too to the um, Japanese peace movement uh, and some of the initiatives. There are very strong partnerships between uh, groups in Japan and in the U.S., and I think this should uh, continue to be the case. Uh, changes uh, comes with uh, partnership and alliance, uh, and I think the two different uh, movements have a lot of convergence on the base issue, the constitutional issues, and uh, the anti-war uh, movement in general. Yes, indeed, absolutely. And we are inspired by the people of Japan uh, standing up against not just a particular war, but against the entire institution of war and insisting that they keep in their constitution Article 9. Uh, and 
uh, global efforts that I'm involved with, like worldbeyondwar.org, uh, have made a lot of friends with a lot of peace activists in Japan uh, who share our view. Uh, we've been speaking with Celine Nahori. She is International Coordinator for Peace Boat and for the Global Article 9 campaign. You can go to peaceboat.org. You can go to facebook.com slash peaceboat. You can go to article-9.org or facebook.com slash article 9. And that's a numeral 9. Celine Nahori, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you very much, David, for calling me. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time. <laughs>